What the hell is going on in Ukraine? Some newspapers say Ukraine's winning. Some say Russia's winning. Some say soldiers are surrendering left and right. I want to know what's going on with the economic sanctions. Are they working? Is there anything we're doing at all that's working? I feel like nothing is making sense when I read about it in a newspaper or, or TV or whatever. So I always do what I always do, which is go directly to the source. The best news source I know on anything defense related or military related is Brandon Webb, who runs softrep.com. Here's Brandon Webb to give me the download on Ukraine. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So, Brandon, you're the CEO of the largest website on the planet for, like, real military intelligence news. And to get real news is so hard these days. Like it's, you know, depending on which, you know, whether you read the Jeff Bezos newsletter, AKA the Washington post, or you read the Carlos slim newsletter, AKA the New York times or whatever other outlets are out there, everybody's politically motivated. So I honestly feel I don't get any real news about what is happening in Russia, Ukraine and other situations, but that's obviously the most important one in the world right now. You've been to Ukraine you know a ton of people there. Of course, you know, we, we, you've been on before. You're, you're, you're a huge Navy SEAL. You started the sniper school. You, you've written military thrillers. You have contacts in every country in the world. What the hell is going on in Ukraine? We'll start with that. Yeah. So I wrote a piece two weeks ago, really, you know, outlining the situation in Ukraine, which, which be glad to answer the question. But the piece I wrote was, was how the Western media, I really think, you did a great job summing it up, right? The media in America is really hard to trust. And it's turned into just something that's kind of nasty. Everyone's doing these clickbait headlines because they they want that increased advertising red revenue from these programmatic buys. So if you write a very sensationalist title, it goes viral and the, and the newspaper makes more money. But Putin targeting Chernobyl-style disaster in Kiev. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and my point was, if you look at, there's been a few instances in history where journalists have misstepped and got something terribly wrong and people have been killed over it, like riots have erupted. Um, and, and so when I see, you know, even an outlet like The Economist, which I, I used to like The Economist, um, but even they've kind of, in my opinion, have, have got into this kind of like clickbaity headline they're taunting Putin and there's and everyone's just like, we need to arm Ukraine. We need to put more weapons and more of this. And then they're publicly like humiliating Putin at every misstep. I'm like, guys, if you paint this guy into a corner, one person makes the decision in Russia. It's Vladimir Putin. It's he's probably one of the most powerful men in the world because of that. It's one guy. He gets to make, he decides he wants to go into Ukraine. He's going into Ukraine to invade. And so my my concern was, you know, we need to really put pressure on the news media institutions to act more responsibly because they could push us to the brink of nuclear war. And, and this is, I agree. everyone's like, oh, that'll never happen. I'm like, I, 
I told you I have my friend Andre, who owns one of the largest advertising agencies in, in Ukraine called Fedorov Agency. And I talked to him in the summer of 2000, what was it? Summer of 21. We were on a rooftop in Kiev at the Hotel Bursa. Uh, and it's like their version of the Ace Hotel. And I said, we've been through SoftRep, we've been covering this kind of existing conflict. There's always been tension on that eastern border of Ukraine and Russia, like in the Donbass region. Like it's been this kind of like almost like a demilitarized zone, like a DMZ right. between the Russians and Ukrainians. And I said, look, he just annexed Crimea. Nobody gave a, a hell about that. It was just like a blip in the media. And all of a sudden, Putin's got Crimea, which is a you know strategically important because it has a it's on the on the sea and there's a base there. I said, Are you worried that Putin could invade Ukraine? And and he's like, Oh, that's crazy. That'll never happen. And then he calls me and he calls me. I was in Zurich on in January of 2022, earlier this year. And he's like, Oh crap. He's like, this is how, like, this is when all the stuff was happening. They were mobilizing troops in Belarus and all these like whispers of, you know, something's going to happen. And in the American embassy, it just, I think, told everyone to pull out. Like, if you're an American in, in Ukraine, you should get out. And that's when Andre called me and he's like, hey, should I get my family out of here? And I said, look, I said, I think if you, if you have the resources, yes you should for sure, because worst case, they're on a, a month and a half holiday in the Netherlands. That's where he wanted to take his family uh, in the Netherlands. So he listened to me, moved his entire family out. And a, I think a week or two after, uh, Putin invaded Ukraine. Um, but he, this is a guy that had invested millions of dollars in a co-work, a very cool co-working space in downtown Kiev called the Cooperative. He had his agency there, bought a built a house in the countryside and just invested in, in a new penthouse condo in Kiev, like millions and millions of dollars. And he's like, Brandon, I, I don't know what to say. I, I love my country, but I don't think I'm ever going to recoup that in my lifetime. So, um, but anyway, the, the point is no one believed that Russia would invade Ukraine and people have the same mindset. I feel like with this nuclear war and when you understand Putin's mindset, and you really take an objective look at it, which I, again, the, the Western media, you, you just never see this stuff anymore uh, in, in, in modern journalism, is go, let's take a look at this kind of big picture, geopolitical picture. Because Putin really, in many ways, I think America has radicalized Putin because we've occupied Afghanistan 20 years. We destabilized the Northern Arabian Gulf, which which kind of kicked off the rise of ISIS and the civil war in Syria, which, again, very important strategic base that Russia has in Syria. So Putin's not going to let Assad get out of power. Let me just translate one thing, yep. though. When you say radical, we changed the situation in Northern Arabian area. That's because of our invasion of Iraq and yep. subsequent more or less failure there made yep. Iran... You know, Iraq used to balance Iran. Now, Iran is a major, the major powerhouse in the Middle East because they have no more natural enemy because we yep. took down the natural enemy. Yeah, 100%. And, and at one point, America was funding Saddam Hussein against that Iraq-Iran war, right? So um, we went, 
yeah, we helped overthrow Gaddafi in Libya. Libya is still a failed state. We've we basically run around the world with and caused you know the American at the heart of American foreign policy is to promote freedom and democracy in the world. And all we've done is just gone around and kind of failed to to nation build and destabilize these regions. And so Putin is looking at us like, who the hell are you to tell me what to do? You guys have been creating a, a mess for for over 20 years. And and I and a lot of the reading I I've done, like what really disturbed him was when we just decided on a whim to kind of essentially execute Gaddafi in Libya. Um and and, and so now, you know, you see a situation politically in America where we're divided as a country politically, right? Either you're voting for a Republican or Democrat, and we've got this two-party system that really doesn't work. It just gives us really bad choices every four years. And, and I would I would highlight that with, I don't think Biden and Trump are the best that America has to offer in the form of like leaders. Right. Um, and, and so Putin saw he sees this and goes, okay, I'm going to go into Ukraine because America is really not in a position to, to like, they don't have the stomach for it. And, and he's right. And so that's where I think he, he was emboldened um, to, to go into, to, into Ukraine. And, and so why the situation, Ukraine? I'm just, I'm just, why do you think he wants Ukraine? I think he wants Ukraine as a, if you look at his kind of strategy, it, it's really, you know, that it's all about mother Russia. Like we're going right. to become, and I think why Putin was respected um, by many Russians for many years. And I think that's changed radically with, with the unpopular invasion of, of Ukraine is that um, he brought in a very similar way that Hitler did to Germany. He restored this kind of national Russian pride after the fall of the Soviet Union, after the breakup of, of the Soviet Union. And so that that existed for a while. And, and I think, okay, he's a guy that's, he's getting to the point in that age. I, I think he's, I think Putin is in his 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But he's, he's thinking legacy, right? This is one guy like Xi Jinping in China, and, and Putin probably has more autonomy than, than Xi, but he gets to make whatever decisions he wants. And he's thinking, this is my legacy play. I'm going to restore Russia to the, to its its you know greatness that it once was. I think that that his ego had a lot to do with it. And again, this isn't. There's not a lot of checks and balances in Russia, and so he went in, and I think it was a he made a terrible mistake. And now he's trying to balance. You know, he's not a not a dumb guy. He's probably going, okay, how do I how do I get myself out of this one? And the original reason I, I wrote this piece was because I feel like who who in the America or the European Union is really leading a who's pushing for a peaceful diplomatic resolution? No, there's all this like banter about arming more arms in Ukraine, more this, more that, and then the media is just dogpiling on, and I'm like, you guys are going to paint him into a corner, and he he could. F- for sure drop a tactical nuke on Kiev. And if you just run that thought experiment, like if if Kiev had a nuke dropped on it tomorrow, just flatten the entire capital, what would happen? What would the world do? I don't think America launches nuke, a nuclear counterstrike. It puts us in a really 
bad situation. And what I think would happen is Europe, the European Union, the UK, which is a total mess right now with the prime minister just resigning, and America would would bend a knee. They they'd bend a knee to Putin and go, "What do you need to end this?" Okay, so so but this brings yeah. like a bunch of questions. Like, a if if Putin wants Ukraine, why would he nuke the place he wants? Like, he's going to move into a country that obviously would everybody would hate him forever, and there wouldn't be, you know, Kiev is the main center of Ukraine. I'm just playing well, the no. devil's advocate. Like, would he nuke yeah. the place that he's going to move into? Like, would you nuke the house that you're about to move into? I don't think it's his first choice. But when you look at, you know, we were having that conversation before the podcast about people getting emotional playing chess. Yeah. If you push him to a point where he has an emotional reaction and he just basically says, screw it, freaking nuke him. And that's going to, if that's the only way he sees as his opportunity to claim victory, then he'll take it because he'll say, look, I, we leveled them and we'll rebuild. That's why he he also flattened those cities in Eastern Ukraine with the idea that just wipe them out and rebuild it up as, as Russian. So I, I, I don't think it's first choice, but, you know, Elon Musk was saying, look, the, the probability is going up every day that, that, that he could use nuclear weapons. And I, I just think we should take it much more serious and and right. as a as as consumers of of news media content you know people do really have the power you know when you like let's not get outraged over you know plastic straws you know and now we're putting paper straws into plastic cups and there's plastic still plastic is a big problem but nuclear war is a big deal like i i don't think anybody in the world gains Quarter by the having podcast a, nuclear war yeah. is a big deal but let, let me ask you this like from the beginning of this war, there's, there really is two problems. Like you mentioned with the media, but one problem is we, I don't know who's winning or losing. Like every other day, it seems like, well, Ukraine just captured 15,000 soldiers. Every Russian is surrendering to Ukraine. But then on the other hand, I'm reading Russia just rain showered missiles down on Kiev and everybody's on the run. Like who, what's, what's the strategic situation there? And then I have a follow-up question to that. Sure. So, so the situation is Ukraine is kicking their ass. Like they have better weapons, like better defense tech, um, better everything. The only thing um, that they they don't have is and and really they don't have air superiority. But Russia hasn't really established air superiority either because we've we've given you know the West has given Ukraine a lot of good ground to air defense missiles. But but Ukraine is highly motivated. You know they've they've had a taste of freedom. They they recognize their independence, and they don't want to go back to to. They don't want to be a part of Russia. So you have this very polarized population in Ukraine that is very motivated, similar to to the war in Vietnam. Right? It's why we lost the war. You, you just you have when you. The other thing that's interesting historically. An invading force needs at least a three to one ratio of like troop, troops to troops, right? So Russia was kind of one to one, and I I read the estimate somewhere between twenty and eighty thousand Russian soldiers have died during this conflict. And to put oh. that into put that into perspective, I think like between in twenty years of Afghanistan, I don't think we lost more than ten thousand U.S troops so you know 20 to 80,000 that's a big 
number in such a short period of time. Why is that happening? Because Russia, it's, it's not like Russia is the new kid on the block. Like they know how to run an army. They, they, I think what happened is they had so much, they had a lot of their command leadership in Syria, kind of managing that serious civil war. They went in half cocked to Ukraine and just got their butts handed to them. And, and, and there have a, the, the problem with, with Russia is nobody wants to fight in Ukraine. Like that's a big problem. It's exactly like the Vietnam War in America. Nobody wanted to be there. They're like, why are we here? This sucks. It's terrible conditions. Why, why are we doing this? And that's the same situation that exists now for Russia and why there was this outrage over the, you know, the cons- kind of call up of another 200 to 300,000 troops. Because Putin's like, oh, he, he recognizes that, you know, they've got big problems. Now they've reassigned one of the generals from Syria to, to handle the Ukraine situation. So it's not like they're, it's not pretty for Russia. And one of the things they have, they, they've got the missiles and you've seen, you know, you've seen they did that major strike um, against yeah. um, Ukraine and it basically knocked out 30% of their energy infrastructure. And that's kind of like, that's what they can do. And, and the nuclear bomb is kind of like in that, in that, uh, or the ace up the sleeve as well. And, and that's what's a scary scenario for me and and why I think we should really what's shocking to me is no like even Biden like how come Biden's not like look we need to have a dialogue we need to have a dialogue with Putin because the Cuban Missile Crisis was an incredibly well handled situation by John F. Kennedy I did a case study on it at Harvard Business School and but you had this open dialogue between the Russians. Was, was there an and, open and dialogue? They, I didn't know that. Like, yeah, yeah. Who, no, there who was, was talking it, to who? It, they had a direct line um, between uh, Russia and, and the U.S. That that was like the beginning of their negotiation. Like, hey, look, let's have a direct open line between the two countries, and and have this like open dialogue. And now it's you know. The, the open dialogue's not there. No, no Western leader is, is kind of calling for a diplomatic solution. It's just all this saber rattling in, in the political arena and, and the press around arming Ukraine and this and that, and, and, and then kind of like making fun of Putin for these losses. And I'm like, guys, this is not, this is serious stuff. Um, and, and I think it's a terrible thing to think about, but it could happen. Yeah, let, let me ask you this. Like, even right in the beginning, you know, after a few days, it was pretty clear this wasn't going to be a wipeout and this was and this was going to be an extended affair. And nobody wanted that. Like, Ukraine, obviously, Ukraine didn't want it, but Russia didn't want it either. Like, Putin didn't want an extended war with all the international hatred and sanctions and all this stuff. Like, it became much bigger than he wanted. But yeah. one thing that surprised me is that we never really discussed, like, we had so much hate for him whether correctly or incorrectly, like let's just even assume it was correct. But no one ever discussed in the media or in politics, it seems to me, uh, how he could save face. Because obviously he can't just pull out and say, oh, we lost, I'm sorry. Like yeah. he's not going to admit defeat, but we, how how could he have saved face in the beginning? How can he save face now to, to have a soft landing to this? I think, you know, look, if I if I was president, I would say, look, okay, we're going to have 
we're going to have a sit down, Zelensky, Putin, have some summit, right? Like, we're going to talk about this. And but, but, but Putin was supposedly refusing those sit downs. Yeah, but he's signaling. If you watch some of the recent press, he signaled that he would, I've watched a lot of the foreign media, that he would be open to these talks. And um, and I hope that through back channels that, that that's starting to, to happen, that dialogue is opening up. But I, to, to answer your question, for Putin, if I was, if I was going to predict what was going to happen, I think that eventually um, China puts pressure on him to to kind of get to the negotiating table. He he takes maybe not all four of those territories he annexed, but part part of them. Um, he ends up getting that, which are you know in. In reality, a lot of that eastern part of Ukraine is, is it's so close to Russia that a lot of them probably consider themselves Russian anyway. Right. Um, I, th- I think symbolically it's more important to Zelensky, the the president of Ukraine, than than anything. But I think Putin gets that some of those territories. He gets some insurances about okay, you're not going to put your missiles here, even though um, these other countries like Finland are now petitioning to to join NATO because of what happened with Ukraine. Um, I think that's kind of like a face-saving off-ramp for Putin where he gets some territories. He goes, okay, we, you know, we got this. We're, you know, but th- that's kind of like in the in the ballpark of what happens. And I think the war goes on another six to 12 months. Uh, and it's tragic because, you know, the the Ukrainian people are, are suffering and, and a lot of these kids are getting sent to the front lines in Russia, just getting, getting slaughtered, you know, n- no training, like a week of marching around and they get sent to the front line. So does everyone, like even Zelensky, he needs to save face too. So like, yeah. does, does everybody save face if they say, listen, we'll give you Crimea with no arguments. Like it's been an argument for 10 years. We'll just give it to you. And no. Finland and whatever they can't join NATO. Like NATO is fixed for the next five years at least. Um, would would and Ukraine's not going to join NATO either. But we will defend NATO, Ukraine with arms if you ever invade them again. Yeah, uh, something uh, like that. And we'll remove all sanctions and whatever. Like, will that save Zelensky's face? Will that save Biden? Will that save Putin? I think so. Something like that, where everybody loses a little bit, but but. At the end of the day, Ukraine maintains its sovereignty. And look, I think Ukraine is coming out of this much stronger. Everybody knows about Ukraine in the world now, which not too many people knew before. They're going to be in a much stronger position. And maybe and, maybe even Ukraine and Russia could form their own trade zone like, like the EU so that yeah. you know people could flow abo- across borders uh, easily without a passport. And, you know, maybe there's a better trade deal between them and then they could jointly sell, you know, things like wheat and, you know, whatever other resources they have. Like, there's probably good ways for them to even shake hands. But but now is there yeah. hatred in Ukraine? Because a lot of Ukrainians have died. Yeah, I know there there is no love lost um, for the for the Russians. That's that's for sure. But I guess it's not for the Russian people. It's just for Putin so if they could yeah. just shake hands and the the world continues and it's it's safer, gosh, that would be such a great thing. And also that solves part of the problem of the world economy is that we're not getting our, our carbs shipped to us anymore because all the wheat's coming from Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, actually, um, I took a, 
I took a pasta making class in Lisbon and this little Italian girl running the class, she actually brought it up to me. She said, we were having a coffee after the, the Noki class. Um, and she said, yeah, I'm really worried because Italy gets most of its, its wheat from Ukraine to make our pasta. And that's when I first started going, okay, this is months ago. I was like, okay, there's going to be a food crisis. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, Good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, If you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And, you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important, and I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Whether it's Ukraine, Russia, or China. I mean, China makes so much of our product, whether it's clothes, furniture, 98% of our antibiotics, 
uh, like if we ever put sanctions against China, let's say if, if China invades Taiwan and, and Biden's already said we're going to put troops in Taiwan, which seems insane to me. Uh, but China could just say, hey, sorry, we're a month late on all of your antibiotics. Good, yeah. good luck if you have a, a, an infection on your arm or whatever. You're just going to die. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, the, that's a good point that you make to, to kind of highlight the importance of these trade relationships. Because we're such a large trade partner with China, it almost puts a check and balance in place, right? Like we're not, we don't, we can't afford to really go into a full-scale conflict with China because we rely on each other so much for as trade partners. So, and I think that's a that's a good thing. So, so why why is then the Biden's rhetoric essentially? And uh, look, I'm not criticizing Biden. I actually know people on his team. He's got a strong bench, and uh, you know, just like I know people top Republicans. So I'm I'm usually very neutral on these things, and I think. You know, you can easily call them the Republicrats because largely, except for a few issues, they sort of operate the same way. But yeah. why is why are we taking such almost a, a warmongering rhetoric now, particularly against China, where we get so much of our like a lot of the inflation that we're having right now is related to our supply chain relationships with Russia and China? Yeah. yeah why I, are we doing this? I don't know. It, it's and, and look. What concerns me as a, a veteran, like I fought in, in Afghanistan and Iraq, and only when I was out, when I left the military in 2006, it, I really started seeing things from a different perspective. Because when you're in, you just kind of, okay, I, I have my orders and I don't care who's in charge. The commander in chief is commander in chief. We just, we do our job and put our head down. But once I'm out, I'm like thinking like, okay, why, what are we doing? Like what? And especially Afghanistan was a soft spot or a sore spot for me because I had a lot of friends in 2010 that would tell me they're like, we don't know why we're here. These rules of engagements are crazy. We're coming back from a mission, like shots fired and getting interrogated by our own our own uh, NCIS, you know, the who are on our side interrogating, you know, SEAL team members. Why did you shoot this guy? Why did that guy get shot? It's like nowhere to fight a war. And like, I feel like Americans, like, we really need to hit the reset button on our foreign policy strategy and, and come up with something new for a new world, right? It's, it's a globally connected world. We really should spend some time in thinking, what is our foreign policy strategy? And, and I would like to know, because I don't know anybody, you and I could probably sit in a room with the entire House of Representatives and ask each one, and we'd get a different answer. And so, when no one knows the strategy, that's a big problem. Well, it's it's so interesting because this this kind of speaks to the fact of like political discourse in this country. Like, I don't know if it's and I I it's an easy thing to say they're all just stupid because I don't think that's true. But like when I, I've been watching a lot of the lo debates in the local races, whether it's you know the local race in Georgia or Ohio or Florida or whatever, and when people ask about inflation, nobody says what is kind of the obvious truth to everybody, which is that, okay, you know, the Federal Reserve has a lot to do with inflation, as does the supply chain issues with China and Russia. Instead, I hear one party saying, oh, it's the evil corporations making a lot of profits, or it's the, you know, we're not allowed to drill anywhere. But like, okay, 
those, those are sort of non-issues. Those are like fringes of the inflation question. So it's sort of like even the political discourse is not allowed to speak about the truth. I don't know what the story yeah. is. They get their talking points and the truth is never part of it. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think I think American politics needs to have a total makeover. Like we need to modernize the American political system. Yeah, get get rid of I've thought about this for a long time. We need to get rid of this like two-party duopoly. Um everyone should be able to vote by phone. You know, if we we have the most sensitive information in our bank accounts on our phones, we can't vote by phone. Right. And, and you're right. In fact, the fact that we can't vote by phone is causing the problems. Like yeah. a box of votes is just dropped off at 3 a.m. <laughs> and like shake all their, they all shake down to the floor and everyone picks them up and counts them. Like it's, it's an antique system. It's a system from like yeah. the 1820s. It's totally antique. The other thing, um, you know, put a cap on campaign finance so you can't buy, buy an election. Um, and then, get rid of the the gerrymandering and then the last thing i would do i would i really think extending the presidential term to like a flat eight-year term would be would be much better than the current system because we're so short-sighted as a country and things happen like we need if somebody was president for eight years i think we'd really think long and hard about who this candidate is going to be for one um, and also it gives them time to actually roll up their sleeves and not have to worry. They have no worry about getting reelected because two years into a four-year term, you're already going, running this, you know, second campaign. It's like, you can really roll up your sleeves and like start thinking about, okay, how can I really make this country better and, and do good for America if you have an eight-year term? Because Russia and, Russia and China were like, Putin and Xi Jinping can just wait us out. They just wait us right. out till Trump gets out and then and invited it. And but that's like, you know, I, I think I'm with you. Like, I don't know. I think it's because of the short-sightedness and they're they're trying to get these quick campaign bites in there and the and they know what resonates with the with the with their base that we're stuck in this, like, oh, we gotta, we gotta drill in America, made in America, you know. It's like, <laughs> like guys. I mean, you you and I are, are similar ages and have lived through in our adult lives similar problems like, you know, 9-11 was kind of the first serious international issue we faced. But, even, but before that, even though there were there was the Berlin Wall dropping and there was kind of this real or artificial peace for a long time, but then there was the Asian default crisis in the late, late, mid to late nineties was like the biggest issue, but then there was nine 11. Then there was the financial crisis. Now there's been, you know, obviously Russia, Ukraine, and, and, and we had COVID. So we've been, we've seen through a lot and, and I'm an optimistic person, even in the middle of a financial crisis, I was going on CNBC and they hated me for it. I was a huge <laughs> optimist and I was yeah. correct, but nobody wanted to hear it. But I am legitimately, I don't want to say a pessimist, but I am legitimately nervous now because it seems like no one knows what they're doing and they don't care. Yeah. I have five children that are draft age and I'm not a believer in any kind of war at all because people die, both good yeah. and bad people die. And uh, I'm nervous because I, again, in the financial crisis, I sort of saw what was going to happen, that they would you know, fix what was wrong in the banking system. Companies were still doing well 
and things would get back to normal, even if it looked like capitalism was on the brink. It wasn't. And with COVID, I was nervous also that the shutdown of the economy, it would have ramifications that we won't know for years, which is still true, but we did come out of it fairly okay. But this situation, and then even worse, China, Taiwan, which is kind of, you know, China is looking at this while they're planning Taiwan. And, you know, I've had uh, General Robert Spaulding came on the podcast. He was the top White House official for Chinese affairs. He's convinced China's going to invade Taiwan literally like any day or any month. And I've had other people tell me that means World War III. And then you see Biden saying we're going to put troops in Taiwan. We don't even have diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And yeah. so I, I, I am, you know, I wake up a little scared. And yeah. what- No, I'm- what do you think? Well, what, after all of this, like, you know, we've touched on a range of issues. What do you think will happen? I So look, I share the same sentiment. I have kids and as well, and, and they're, you know, high school and college, but I have the same fears. It's why I wrote that article about kind of calling out Western media and, and the political leadership in the West for not taking a more measured approach to what's happening in Ukraine. But but they can't because it's their jobs to just scare people. Like I've yeah, worked in and it's, I've worked in newsrooms. You run a newsroom and I know yours is a lot different than the New York Times, but literally newsrooms will say every morning, what's the scariest thing we could write about? Let's even use hyperbole and get subscribers. Yep. Like that's all they care. Yeah. They, so their job now is not news. Like you have to you have to really go to the source for news, which is why I'm going to you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And it's one of the things I, you know, I'm in my alumni group at HBS and then the YPO group, and we're having these conversations amongst ourselves like, okay, it, it can't, we can't rely on government to solve these problems anymore. So it takes, it takes thought leaders. It takes podcasts like this and people, people kind of making a, a difference to, to kind of make these, you know, push us in the, in the direction of, of becoming a better country because I think America is in, is in big trouble right now as well. And, and the world is, I've never thought I would, we would be on the brink of World War III, which it, it scarily seems like that every day you wake up and read the headlines. Um, I think China and America is going to sort it out. And look, the Taiwan is almost a non-issue to me because Taiwan is China's number one trade partner, far out, even though the U.S. is number two, they're much larger. So, oh, I didn't you know, know that. Econo yeah, economically speaking, you know, Taiwan is tied to China. You know, when they had the revolution in the 50s, guess where all the, the old political leadership ran to from China, mainland China? They all went to Taiwan. Sure. And so there's a, there's a similar sentiment with Russia that goes, okay, at that one point in time, Ukraine was part of the USSR. So they feel like it's ours. They feel like this ownership. And, and China is similar with Taiwan. They're like, okay, your, your time is coming. Like you're all, you know, they all speak Mandarin. That's the official language. You know, the, the trade relationship with, with China is massive, way bigger than the US. And you got to think like they share a home tongue um, with all the trade going on. Like, if I'm running the intelligence service for the Chinese, I probably, they probably control Taiwan already. Like we just don't know it. But then right? why is this even a discussion that China, that China's probably going to invade Taiwan? I feel like it's just like a political hot point. You know, it's, it's just, even though. Cause she's thinking probably, of a legacy too. Yeah, no, I, that's why I'm like, 
I don't even, I think Taiwan, like in all reality, does America care if China takes Taiwan tomorrow? It would be just like Crimea and Putin. They would be like, who cares? But then why does Biden even say things like, oh, we're going to put troops in Taiwan? That is so counter to what would be good for I America. I know. Not, not, I don't know if saying is China's like... good, Taiwan's bad, or, or Taiwan's good, China's bad. I'm just saying it doesn't make any sense for our citizens. No, as... why were we in why were we in Afghanistan for 20 years? We should have we accomplished our objective at the at the mid part of 2002. Yeah. We should have just left. You know, why did we stay 20 years? It's just, there's, it doesn't make sense to me. And, and that's why, you know, when I read these headlines and I see the sound bites from both sides, because I'm with you, I'm just fed up with the whole system in general. Given all this, given that there does seem to be either a range of st stupidity or political motivation, what, and, and we've already discussed, okay, here's how Putin can save face today, and we could just throw this out yeah. there and no one gets hurt. What do you think will happen based on all your contacts, all your connections, all your news sources? What do you think is going to happen? I think the war goes six to 12 months more. Um, I think eventually... Um, the Chinese could even take a leadership position and, and actually be out in front as as the organizer of a peace talk. I, I think Russia gets some territories in the eastern part of Ukraine, and that's kind of Putin's saving uh, face, sure. and he, he can still claim victory. And I think what you intuitively said about the NATO and the armaments and all that stuff, it will probably include some of that. Like, okay, these countries, you know, you can't put you know, missiles right up against the border of, of Russia, um, so, something like that. And then, and then the war ends and you, Ukraine gets to join the European Union um, and it will be much stronger for it. And I think that depending on how Putin navigates this, because of the economic sanctions and not just the sanctions, like just looking at the energy alone, like the long-term effects are really going to do damage to the Russian economy because they lost major trade partners and you can't get that trust back overnight. When you look at how much trust, I mean, the nationalization of McDonald's in Russia, for instance, but you know, things like this, I think Russia is in a really tough spot on the long-term economically, regardless of if they, if they stop the sanctions tomorrow, Europe's already gotten off the energy. Right? We'll only play devil's advocate to that though, because they have no banking relationships anymore with the West. They've just stopped paying their debts. So they've saved hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars on, on debt repayments. And, you know, because the only people we were able to personally affect were all the Russian oligarchs that are competitive with Putin, Putin might actually love the sanctions. And he's just upped his oil trading with China. So I'm not so sure he's really lost that much money. No, I think I agree with you in the short term that it is basically a non-issue but long-term effects it's going to cause it's going to be a major there's going to be major so, problems plus okay. there's permanent changes to like european union is getting off of russian russian energy right gas and they're even though they're going to suffer in the short term but eventually they're getting off that they're not coming back right they're not going to go oh great let's buy russia's gas again turn it back on 
there's there's just this loss of trust and they're but where are they gonna get gas i mean they're gonna have to invest in they're gonna have to get it somewhere else and invest in renewables which i feel like the european union's done a pretty good job of of being very progressive on on going that direction anyway okay so so does putin exactly save face with this then how about part of the saving face is he denationalizes all the companies he nationalized, you know, in in exchange for, you know, extensive, you know, multi-decade contracts with them. Uh, you know, Germany uh, recommits to buying, you know, Russian oil for so many years, you know, while cuz the switch to renewables isn't going to happen overnight anyway. Yeah. And yeah. um uh maybe even they switch to EU for buying oil from Russia instead of dollars. Uh, you know, you sorry, euros. Yeah. Uh I'm just again trying to think of not that we're trying to like placate Putin, but obviously if he doesn't save face, there's going to be a nuclear war, and we want him to leave Zelensky alone. And yeah. you know, I don't know. We got to save face too, so we don't want to act like we're giving him everything. Um, so what do we? How do we message that we're not giving him everything? Well, I mean, I I feel like it's it's already past that point. Like Ukraine is is sovereign they will be sovereign they're they're likely going to join the european union which that was the last thing putin ever wanted especially more countries joining nato which i think will happen also maybe maybe we say ukraine's going to join the eu but not nato like we won't let ukraine join nato yeah but but he he has to agree not to invade them again i feel like those are realistic scenarios for sure it's got to be some mix of that um and you know like Let's just hope it doesn't it doesn't escalate. Does you does Russia pay reparations for anything they destroyed in Ukraine, or is that uh, not probably, safe for? I think probably that could. I think that can include reparations. And look back to the motivation, right? Like I'm splitting my time between the U.S. and Portugal now, and there was a ton of Ukrainian refugees in Portugal when I first started coming here. And even some of the women have went back to Ukraine because they feel this like national sense of pride where the Russian population wants nothing to do with it. They don't, there's no motivation there. And especially the Russians have done terrible things. If the New York Times actually did put out a really good piece on, they intercepted all these cell phone audio transcripts and then they interpreted them. And the, the Russians are telling about how they're, they've been ordered to massacre women and children. They're looting houses, stealing TVs, like, there's thousands and thousands of civilian bodies just massacred left in this forest. Like it's really bad. So Russia's going to have to definitely have to answer for that in some form or fashion. So how do they answer for that and Putin also saving face? And also, how does Ukraine ever have any good feeling towards Russia again? I mean, it's always surprising to me that Japan loves the US given that we dropped two nuclear bombs on them. But again, yeah. they we didn't start the war with them. They started the war with us. You know, I know there's argument around that, but I guess they justify it that way. But how does Ukraine ever have good feeling towards Russia ever again? I think, and look, it's even more so than the U.S. and Canada. There's a lot of cross-pollination and in, in population between Russia and Ukraine. Like people, people in Russia have uh, family in Ukraine, vice versa. I feel like most Ukrainian sentiment is channeled towards the negative sentiments channeled towards Putin. So, and that, and that's, that's a fact, kind of an X factor in itself. Like, I think that, you know, 
a lot of the really smart people in business in Russia are seeing like, you know, potentially the best thing is regime change. But how does that, how do you take out Putin? (laughs) Who knows? But um, I think that there's enough like, you know, relationship there that if eventually they'll get over it. You know, there's just, I don't think Ukrainians harbor any ill will towards the Russian population is, is my point. They, they understand that it's one guy, you know, inflicting his will on the population. raping the women though. Like how do they, yeah. like if you have a daughter that was raped by a Russian soldier, how do you ever come to terms with that? Yeah, I mean, that that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because it, when you, and I would encourage anyone listening to go look at the, or listen to those cell phone conversations is pretty well you get the idea how one how bad the russians have it half the conversations they're complaining they don't have ammunition they don't have food they don't they don't know why they're there no one's giving them orders so it's pretty pretty crazy you, you kind of get a really good picture for why why russia is failing on that ground war in ukraine but yeah how do you reconcile the atrocities it's terrible i just don't know i mean i i feel like humans are pretty you know, look at what happened in World War II, right? And with Germany, you know, we've like the atrocities at the concentration camps. We just kind of like realize the the circumstances and we just move on with life. I guess that's right. We do have a strong tendency to to focus on the future because that's where the food is. The food is never in the yeah. past, it's in the future. <laughs> and so maybe just yeah. biologically, we forgive and forget you know, and yep. it's hard to hold grudges at, at a national or a species level. But uh, so, so, okay, so to summarize then, you think it lasts six to 12 months more. But again, does Ukraine, I mean, Ukraine's only so big. Like if they just keep bombing cities, is there anything left of Ukraine in six months? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think, yeah, Ukraine is is resilient. Um, uh, what I saw when I was in Kiev, you know, less than a year ago is a thriving entrepreneurs entrepreneurial environment startups excitement you know they were really you could just feel it uh, when you went there like all the stuff that was happening and, and they've got a taste of of that that freedom and i i think ukraine like i said will be much stronger and and bounce back very quickly because they're going to get a ton of support from the world you know to rebuild um, so, but again, I think it's, you know, they've got six to 12 months more of this and, and a lot of suffering, a lot of people, unfortunately, going to die on both sides. And I just hope we can avoid the the and, nuclear and, option. And what will trigger the end? Like, will suddenly Biden say, look, guys, we got to stop this or China steps in or, or like, what I will think, actually trigger the end that, that where it's like, okay, done, let's just figure this out. I mean, I think that, it could even be Putin signaling when he realizes he's he's in a really tough spot, which I think he he's he's not in a great spot right now. But I, if I had to call it, I would say that the you know the Chinese take a, a leadership position where it feels like naturally to me because China wants to be they want to be known as a superpower, and this could be their moment to kind of get on the global stage and say, hey, look, we're gonna we're going to broker this piece. Like this isn't good for anybody, um, especially coming out of COVID and and now going into this, this recession. Um, I, I think it comes from China. I just don't see any strong Western leadership, you know, really angling to solve this problem. Yeah. 
it's such a shame that not necessarily that we that the U.S. lost its leadership role in the world because maybe we never should have had a leadership role to begin with, but the fact that we lost it because of our bad behavior. When I think legitimately, most people in the U.S. think and know that look, it's a good thing the system we have. We have a system that encourages innovation, encourages free thinking most of the time, not all the time. And it would be better if the world were like us, but yeah. we've done a really bad job of like spreading that message with, with bullets. So, yeah. and it's, you know, it's a little messed up, but I, I hope, I hope it's less than six to 12 months, although you're probably right. And uh, look, let's keep talking about this as, as it continues. And as we learn more, because hopefully there's, a soft landing for this, a soft landing for China, Taiwan. Hopefully, you know, and this is all related to the U.S. inflation issues, which are reflected in the stock market every day. So hopefully the world starts to anticipate better things and, and life life becomes good. Yeah, or or AI gets to the point where they just make us their pets and, and then we can just, you know, get a pat I'm on the head and Run in the I'm park fine with once that a day. Too. <laughs> yeah, I'm same, fine with that also. Same here. So, I never thought I would say it, but I'm actually the first time in my life. I'm like, probably AI could do a much better job governing. Definitely. Oh, uh, you know, but, it's so funny. Like, um, you know, on on Notepad, we have an, an AI engine, and I typed in. Let me see if I could find it. Uh, I typed in what are what are bad ideas for a podcast. I think was my. Uh, thing, but then I, <laughs> I I ran it through the AI engine, and it's very weird what it came up with. It kind of had this really almost Marxist interpretation of what I was asking. <laughs> so, so we're creating the the better AI is, and look, AI is this one big Borg like unit now. Like we, we they all use the same training data. So let me let me just see. Uh, 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 okay, yeah. So so I plugged in. Um, so I had I had a business idea, not a business. I called this a, the bad idea of the day, which is to create a podcast family tree. So, for instance, you've been on my cat podcast, I've been on yours. So, on the podcast family tree, we're both children of each other. And you know, then let's say Jocko Willink's been on mine, so you're like cousins with Jocko Willink, and then ever whoever Jocko's had on his podcast, you're related. To. So, I wanted to create this huge podcast family tree so you could see who the common guests are or listen to the podcast and whatever. So I asked the AI yep. to, to I, I plug, you know, we have an AI engine that will help you come up with more ideas. So it, so the, I just said, give me ideas for a podcast family tree. So it had to figure out what I meant by a podcast family tree. And here's the, the idea it came up with word for word. The title is the family tree of bad ideas. And then here's what it says. <laughs> How capitalism is ruining our planet. In this podcast, we explore how capitalism is ruining our planet. We trace its origins back to its creator and see how it has spawned a new generation of terrible ideas. <laughs> that was literally like the AI answer to, you know, give me more ideas for a pod, the fam, for for the podcast family tree. <laughs> I wonder what it would say. Like, how do we end the war in Ukraine? I wonder what oh, it would say. Oh, okay. Hold on. If you have a, a, a minute, I will. I will do that yeah. right now. Uh, so I have to create a new idea list. Uh, we use right. We're using AI to write some content, but it's funny what it comes up with because the AI, a lot of the writing engines, it, it 
it assumes that everything on the internet is truth. So the stuff that it references, I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, okay. How to stop the war in Ukraine. AI suggestions. Establish a United Nations peacekeeping force, which will be responsible for maintaining peace and st stability in the region and be co composed of soldiers from various countries. All right. I, I feel like we've done and failed that before, but that's a reason yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, create a buffer zone. And this is a little what you were talking about. Buffer zone is a strip of land that separates two countries. This would create a physical barrier between Ukraine and Russia and would hopefully reduce the chances of conflict. So maybe inside that buffer zone on the Russia side is things like Crimea and so on. Uh, sanctions, that's not working. Diplomatic relations, uh, uh, you know. Non-existent almost. <laughs> yeah. And military intervention. All right, AI, I'm not sure I like any of these ideas. I know. So <laughs> humans still would make better generals and diplomats probably than AI. So there's yeah. that. Yeah, uh, until the one, the one, it'll be one second and then they'll be so far ahead of us. But for now, yeah, that exists. That's true. It grows exponentially. So, you know, that's what yeah. happens. But uh, Brandon Webb, you've been on so many times, always have valuable content. Check out softrep.com, which is your site of military. Uh, what do you? I always say military intelligence, but it's like defense and foreign policy news. Yeah, and um, also check out Brandon Webb's thrillers. Just search Brandon Webb W E B B on Amazon. He's written some incredible military thrillers. It's a new genre created by Brandon. So, well, Tom Clancy really, but continued by the the new Tom Clancy, which is Brandon Webb. <laughs> uh, are, are you allowed to talk about? all the different ways you're pushing these thrillers? Can you just say what the highlights yeah, are? In, in fact, Cold Fear, which is the second book in our Finn series, you could read them out of order. Cold Fear actually really has some of our, what we talked about with the Ukraine-Russia tension in there too, but it all takes place in Iceland and it, it's a kind of military thriller slash crime, um, crime book as well. So that that's our latest one. We're, we're just in final... Final contractual stages. So hopefully, uh, turn it into TV series and one of the big streamers. So I'm excited about that. But and also, I did put this on my Instagram. If anyone buys two or more books on the holidays, I'm gonna do a cameo video for their gift recipient and and email it to them. So if you buy, are you on the cameo? Books, no, but I'm just gonna do the video and email it to the person. So that's if they go to my Instagram, which is just Brandon T. Webb, they'll see the offer there. But um, I limited it. But if you're an Altature listener, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll uncap the the limited cameo. So I'll do as many as you got. Excellent, Brandon. Thanks so much again. And next week, or the week after, I'll whatever it is, I'll give you a chess lesson. If anyone wants yeah, to watch please. that live, we'll do it on Twitch. So just tell us on Twitter if you want to watch that <laughs> live, and we'll we'll Twitch it. And uh, yeah. thanks again, Brandon. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.